All right, if you wouldn't open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to reread our text from last Wednesday. And just so you know, I haven't gotten Alzheimer's and forgotten I preached that message last Wednesday. We're going to look at uh, a little bit more of this this week. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. He tried Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. Then Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together in prayer. <coughs> Our Father, we bow in your awesome presence this evening, a thankful people. Oh, how thankful we are that we can come into the presence of Almighty God and be accepted because of our Lord Jesus Christ, be accepted in the Beloved. Father, how we thank you for your electing, adopting, regenerating grace that enables sinful men and women such as we are to come into your presence, crying, Abba, Father. What a, what a soul-thrilling thought that Almighty God has made himself our Father, made us his children. Father, we're so thankful. And we're thankful for this opportunity that you've given us to meet together and worship your matchless name. And Father, I pray that you'd send your spirit upon us. Enable us to do that. Enable us tonight to worship thee 
in spirit and in truth. Don't let us just go through the motions of religion. But Father, give us a special hour of worship where you would speak to our hearts through your word and apply it to your word to our hearts, to each heart here. And Father, I pray you'd enable us to leave here this evening resting in Christ our Savior, knowing that he'll take care of everything that's required of us. Father, we thank you for the many blessings of this life. you blessed us so abundantly. Father, I pray you give us the, the wisdom and the generous heart to not use all the many things you've given us selfishly, but we might use it to help others, to help our brothers and sisters, to, to be a help one to another. Father, cause us to be able to show our love one to another. Give us the wisdom to preserve and, and protect the, the unity and the, the worship that we have here. And Father, we dare not forget to pray for those that you brought in the time of trouble and trial. There's so many right now here and in other places. Father, we pray you be with your people. We pray that you heal. We pray that you deliver. And above all, Father, we pray you comfort the hearts of your people with your presence. Now, all these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name. The name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, I've titled our message this evening, The Lord Will Provide. I know we looked at this passage last week, but I really didn't uh, get to spend much time in verse 14 on the name of the Lord that's revealed in our text. And that's what I want to do this evening. Look at this name, Jehovah Jireh. Now, there are at least seven names of Jehovah that are given to us in the Old Testament scriptures. And remember, the name of the Lord describes who he is. It describes his character. It describes what he has done for his people. Each of these names describe not only what the Lord has done for his people, but they describe who he is to his people. First, there's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide everything that he requires of us. And he will require. He will provide everything that, that we need. He will. Then there's Jehovah Rapha. The Lord our healer. The Lord who heals all of our spiritual diseases. Who heals our wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. He heals all of our spiritual diseases and give us, gives us spiritual eternal life. And any time we're healed physically, he did that too, didn't he? he? He used it means, doctors and nurses and medicines and so forth, but it's the Lord that heals it. Then there's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Oh, you just lift up Christ, our banner. Just like those old armies, you know, the, the old, they lift up the, the flag and the soldiers would rally to the flag. That's Christ, our banner. You just lift him up in preaching. You just lift him up and glorify him. You watch his people gather to him. He's, he's our banner. And then there's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. The Lord who made peace for us by the blood of his cross. There's Jehovah Raya. The Lord, our shepherd. God's people have a, are called sheep. And we have a shepherd who leads the sheep, who feeds his sheep, who guides his sheep, and protects his sheep. Then there's Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness. He's the only righteousness we have. In. Not only does he provide a righteousness, he is our righteousness. He's the only righteousness that we have. 
And then there's Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. You can't go anywhere God's not. I know a lot of times we feel alone, but the Lord's present. He's always with His people. He'll never leave His people. See, the Lord Himself, He's everything that we need. What else do we need beside that? He's everything that we need. And here in our text at Mount Moriah, which later on, just in case you don't know this, is going to become to be known as Mount Calvary. This happened on the very mountain where the Lord will be crucified thousands of years later. Here on Mount Calvary, Mount Moriah, is the place where the name Jehovah Jireh is revealed. The Lord will provide. Here's how the Lord's going to provide. It's the sacrifice that's offered on this mountain. Now, there are three meanings of this name, Jehovah Jireh, and I want to look at those tonight. The three meanings of this name is the Lord will see. The Lord will be seen, and the Lord will provide. This name, Jehovah Jireh, means all three of those. And I pray the Spirit will let us leave here tonight not just understanding the meaning of these three names, but resting in our Lord because of them, because of this revelation of who He is. Now first, Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will see. And when the Lord will see, i tell you what that means. He's going to take care of it. That's what it means. The Lord sees everything, doesn't He? Nothing's hid from Him. So for God to see is for the Lord to provide, for the Lord to take care of the problem. This name means the Lord will see to it for his children. You know, when our girls were growing up, and still even today, they come, they tell me about their problems. And I tell them, I see. I see. And now my girls know this by experience. When daddy says, I see, what I mean is, I'm going to do everything in my power to help take care of this. Maybe. Maybe I'm going to try to fix the problem. Maybe I'll give them advice, you know, how, how to handle it. But daddy's going to do whatever he can do. When he says, I see, he's going to do whatever he can do to help fix this problem. It's, they know their daddy. They know it's impossible for me to see those I love have a problem and not try to do something about it. I just, I'm not the kind of guy that can sit on my hands. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Now, when they were little, when they were real little, they didn't know this. When they were real little and daddy said, I see. When they were real little and daddy said, I'll see to it. Boy, they didn't have another worry in this world. Now they've gotten older and they realize daddy's powers to fix things are very, very limited. But listen to me. Our heavenly father is not limited in any way. There's no limits to his power. There's no limits to his love. There's no limits to his wisdom on how to, how to solve a problem, how to take care of his children. When our Heavenly Father sees a problem, he'll see to it. He'll see to it. He takes care of the problems for his children, and he always has the power and the wisdom to do it right. You know, before the world began, our Father saw the need of his people. Before anything was created, he saw the need of his people, and he saw to it. He saw to it, for we even knew there was a problem. He already saw to it. Let me give you a few examples. God our Father, before creation now, 
saw his children falling in Adam. And he saw to it. He sent his son to restore his children, to raise us up together with Christ. Our father saw his children lost in Adam. He saw the problem and he saw to it. You know what he did? He sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. Our father saw his children lose their innocence. They fell into sin and unrighteousness in Adam. He saw it. He saw it. And he saw to it. You know what he did to fix that problem? He sent his son to be the righteousness of his people. There's Jehovah Sid Kenu. The Lord provided. Jehovah Jireh provided Jehovah Sid Kenu. The Lord our righteousness. Our father saw his children would have a sin debt that they could not pay. And he saw to it. He provided the sacrifice. He sent his son into the world to be the sin bearer. To be the sacrifice for the sin of his people. He sent his son into this world to suffer and die. And shed his blood. To pay the debt his children could not pay. And that debt is paid in full by the blood of God's son. Our father saw his children dead in sin. He saw the problem. He saw to it. You know how he sent to give them life? He sent his only begotten son to take their place. To die for them so they would live. That's what was just being pictured right before this name of, of the Lord Jehovah Jireh was revealed. That's what Abraham and Isaac just saw happen. Didn't it? Isaac lived because the ram died in his place. And they saw. When the Lord said Abraham saw my day and was glad. This is the day he was talking about. This very day. Abraham saw. This is how God's going to save his people. Through the death of his son. The Lamb of God is going to die in my place. So that I could live. And he was glad. He was glad. You know our father. You know how he's always seen his people. He's always seen his children. In Christ. He's always seen them in Christ. And if you look over 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'll show you an example of this. Since God has always seen his children in Christ. He's always blessed them. He's always seen to it. For Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is after the, the long drawn out affair between David and Saul. And David's been anointed king, but Saul is, is still the king. Now Saul is finally dead. Jonathan, his son, is dead. Now rightfully, normally what would happen is that David's become king. David's taken the throne. What normally would happen is the new king would kill every son and every grandson of the old king. So there'd be no threats to his throne. Now David's on the throne. Look what he says. And David said, is there yet any that's left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now David loved Jonathan. They were best friends. And they made a promise to each other. David promised Jonathan, when I become king, I'll not hurt your children. I'll, I'll take care of them. And for Jonathan's sake, David is determined to show mercy on somebody related to Saul. Well, you know the story. They find old Mephibosheth, lame on both his legs, dirty, 
Oh, what a, what a, what a sight he was. In verse 8, they bring Mephibosheth to David. And Mephibosheth, he bows himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Mephibosheth couldn't even believe David would even look at him. I mean, how can you even look? He just couldn't, he couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm a, I'm an enemy. I deserve for you to put me to death. But David looked upon him, didn't he? David saw Mephibosheth in his lameness, in his filth, in his helplessness. And for Jonathan's sake, David saw to it. Look at verse nine. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I've given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. All those 35 men are going to get to work here to provide for Mephibosheth. See, David saw to it, didn't he? In verse 11, then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, David's driving this point home, isn't he? As for Mephibosheth, he shall eat it at my table as one of the king's sons. There's old lame, dirty, helpless Mephibosheth. David said, I see you. And I'm going to see to it. He provided everything he needed and he made him one of my sons. When our father sees his children in our lameness, in our weakness, in our filth, in our sin, in our deadness, in our rebellion, he says, I'll see to it. And he arranges heaven and earth to provide for that child. And he says, but more than that, I'm going to make them my son, my daughter, and they're going to eat at my table. My table. They're going to eat at my son. They're going to be redeemed by my son. Oh, the Lord will see to it. The Lord will see to it. I'm telling you, you take that to bed with you tonight and sleep easy. The Lord will see to it. All right, here's a second thing. And this is a, this is a great blessing. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will be seen. Not only will he see, he said to it, he'll be seen. The Lord will see his people, but you know what? His people are going to see him too. They're going to see him by faith. They're going to see the Lord. And they're going to believe on him. They're going to rest their all of their soul to his care. And someone here may be wondering, well, I've never seen the how do I see the Lord? This sounds like a blessing to me to see the Lord. Can you tell me how I can see the Lord? Well, I can tell you this. We're not going to see him physically, are we? We see the Lord by faith. By faith. You know, quite honestly, it wouldn't do us any good to see the Lord in a bodily figure. How many people saw the body of the Lord Jesus? This man. Went about doing good in earthly ministry three and a half years. Maybe they saw him in those 30 years before that. They didn't believe on him. His brothers and sisters grew up with him. They saw him. Didn't believe him. <laughs> didn't believe him. Nobody believed on him. Even if they saw his body. 
unless the Spirit was pleased to give them faith in Christ. So we see Christ. We see the Lord by faith. By faith. And here's how we see Him, by faith. First of all, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, not like I'm looking into your faces right now. The glory of God is this. God, God Himself told Moses, Here's my glory, Moses. I'll show mercy to whom I will show mercy. It's sovereign mercy to sinners. And we talk about sovereign mercy, sovereign grace. Pretty much all of us here say, I'm a sovereign gracer. And as you'd say, I'm a sovereign gracer. Here's what sovereign mercy, sovereign grace means. The Lord shows mercy to every will. He gives it to every will and he withholds it from whoever he will. It's his to give. And every single time he gives mercy and grace to, one, to, to some poor sinner, they don't deserve it. And he gives it to them anyway. That's sovereign mercy. It's God deciding. That's sovereign mercy. Here's what mercy is. Mercy is God not giving a sinner what they do deserve. Well, what is it that we deserve for our sin? Every last one of us deserve eternal death for our sin. Because of our sin, we deserve for God to say unto us, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's what we deserve, isn't it? Oh, I never want God to give me what I deserve. So in order for God to have mercy on his people, now he still must be just. Everything God does must be just and holy if he's going to be God, right? So in order for God to be merciful to his people and not give them what they do deserve, you know what God did? He gave his son everything that the sin of his people deserves so that they could go free. He made his son to be sin for, for his, for his people, for his elect. And he crucified him for it. He slaughtered him for it. So that justice is now satisfied in the death of Christ. Now God can be merciful to his people because he poured out his judgment, his wrath upon his son. I wish I could say this as, as much as I feel it in my heart. If we ever find out, if I ever find out I'm a sinner, that's going to be the most glorious thing I've ever seen. The most glorious thing I've ever heard. The only way I could see the true glory of God is to see Christ crucified as my substitute. Second, here's how we see the Lord by faith. You see Him at Calvary. See, this. This I don't think it's any accident that this that between Abraham and Isaac took place on what later would become the mountain come to be known as Mount Calvary. We see the Lord, who He is. We see His glory at Calvary. Now I know we, we see some of, of God's power, some of His glory, some of His wisdom when we look at creation, don't we? I mean, my soul. How God made this and it just this creation. You, you see pictures of places from around the world. You see pictures of outer space. You see all the pictures of these things God's created. I mean, it's just stunning, isn't it? And that's marred with sin. <laughs> Think what it would be if it hadn't been touched by sin. We see some of the power of God in providence, how God arranges the events that take place in his creation. It, it, it's just amazing how he does this. 
But when you look at creation, when you look at the events of, uh, of providence, you don't see anything of God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's pity, or God's justice, do you? Don't see anything of that. If you want to see the full glory of God on display, you've got to go to Calvary. That, at Calvary, that's where every attribute of God is glorified to its fullest and set on display for all of us to see. At Calvary, that's where we see the mercy of God. At Calvary. You think, well, I don't see much mercy there. At Calvary. Oh, it's a bloody slaughter. I mean, the our Savior did not even look like a man hanging on that cross. I mean, the slaughter, the blood, the brutality. There's mercy there. Yes, sir, there's mercy there. Look what God did to his son at Calvary so he could have mercy on him. See, that's where we see it at Calvary. At Calvary, we see the justice of God. God is just. How do I know that? At Calvary, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. See, at Calvary, we see this so plainly. The Father did not hold back any of His wrath, any of His justice, anything that sin deserved, even when that sin was found upon His Son. His only begotten Son, the Son who He spoke from heaven, said, I'm well pleased with Him. You hear Him. When the Father made Him sin for His people, the Father poured out His full fury, His pure wrath against sin without any hint of mercy, without any hint of of love. I know God's just. He, he slaughtered his son for sin. I know he is. That makes me want to substitute, doesn't you? That makes me want to substitute. I need a substitute to bear that justice because I can't. I need a substitute to die for me. But yet this also thrills my soul. God is just. I mean, nothing will cause him to do anything that's unjust. If Christ died for my sin, God is never going to punish me. He's going to accept me because his justice is satisfied. Oh, that's a load off, isn't it? <laughs> One less thing to worry about. At Calvary, we see, how is it that God can justify a sinner? Here's how he did it. You only, you only find this out at Calvary. This is not an academic exercise. This is not a legal shuffling of papers here. Here's how God justified his people. It's a personal matter. This thing of sin and righteousness is a personal matter. The Father took the sin of his people away from them and made it his son's. Not only did he put it upon his son, he made that sin to belong to his son. That's why he punished him for it. And in turn, he took the righteousness of Christ and put it on his people. And he didn't just put that people on them, or that righteousness on his people. He made them righteous. He made them righteous. He had made him sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be what? Made the righteousness of God in him. See, you want to find out how God makes a sinner righteous, you've got to go to Calvary, don't you? 
At Calvary, we see the wisdom of God. How is it that a sinner can be saved? How is that possible? How is it possible that a sinful man can be just with God? That's Job's age-old question. And men have been making up crackpot religions from the time Adam left the garden. And they never answered the question, how can a sinner be made just? Not one of them ever did. Not one. You want the answer? Go to Calvary. At Calvary, we say, we find out this is what God meant when He said, deliver them from going down to the pit. I found a ransom. Jehovah Jireh, I provided the ransom in the sacrifice of my son. Christ suffered in the pit so his people could go free in justice. Then at Calvary, we see the love of God. Oh my. The Father says to his people, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Boy, at Calvary, I see that love is the real McCoy. The Father must really love the people that he chose to save. He must love them. Look what he did to his only begotten son in order to redeem the people that he loves. Oh, that's, there's the love of God. What love that the Father would sacrifice his only begotten son so that sinners the likes of you and me could be saved. Oh, my. See, the Lord's going to reveal himself to everybody that he saves. And here's how he's going to reveal himself to them. He's going to reveal himself to them as Christ crucified on Calvary's cross. This is what our Lord meant. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all unto me. When Christ is lifted up, we see him lifted up crucified. That's what draws us to him. That's what makes us run to him, isn't it? That's what makes us cast our soul upon Him. If I ever see Christ at the cross, crucified for me, brother, you ain't going to have to sing 52 verses just as I am. You ain't going to have to beg me to do something. I'm coming to Christ if God ever shows Him to me. Crucified as my substitute. I'll believe Him. I mean, you ain't going to be able to stop me from believing. I'll believe Him. And I'll have eternal life. And thirdly, that brings me to the third thing. We see the Lord in the gospel of Christ. I tell you this, our generation, I however, <laughs> I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard Brother Henry start to complain about his generation. I'd tell him, Henry, boy, take a back seat. You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm telling you, we don't need psychologists. We don't need, I mean, let me rephrase that. We don't need them in the pulpit. <laughs> we don't need them in the pulpit. We don't need a social worker in the pulpit. We don't need uh, Mamby Pamby, wet rag, just ooing and on over everybody, trying to make everybody feel good in the pulpit. We need preachers. We need preachers, somebody that's going to preach Christ. That's what we need. Because the only way we'll ever see Christ at the cross, the only way we'll ever see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is if somebody preaches the gospel to us. (laughs) Somebody's got to preach it because we can't figure it out on our own. 
Let me show you that. Look at Romans chapter 10. See, if I'm going to believe on Christ, I've got to know him. I've got to know who he really is. Romans chapter 10. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But now wait a minute. How then shall they call on him in whom they not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. We're going to preach to a lot of people that aren't going to believe it. For Isaiah said, Lord who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. If anybody here this evening does not have faith in Christ, you know it. You know you don't have saving faith in Christ. You know you don't believe Him. You know you don't trust Him. You you know. You know you're in darkness. Tell you what to do. Tell you what to do. And I I feel qualified to tell you what to do because I was in your shoes. You make it a point to be here or be somewhere where God's preacher is standing to preach. And you make it a point to be here every single time the doors open. Faith cometh by hearing. By hearing. By hearing of who Christ is. See, somebody's got to preach Christ to us. Christ. Somebody's got to preach that Christ is our righteousness. I don't need somebody preaching telling me to do good works. I don't need somebody preaching telling me to be moral. I need somebody to tell me what, who righteousness is and where it's found. Christ is our righteousness. Somebody's got to preach that. Do you know righteousness doesn't have anything to do with what we do or we don't do? Not one blessed thing. Righteousness doesn't have anything to do with us. Righteousness is all in Christ. He is our righteousness. And the only way we can know that is if somebody dares to preach Christ to us. Now, he's going to have to offend the flesh, isn't he? He's going to have to offend the flesh and say, we don't have any righteousness. You don't have anything you can bring to God. He's going to have to be bold enough to offend the flesh. But boy, if he preaches Christ, that's the only way we're going to find out he is our righteousness. Somebody's got to preach that Christ is the only way to God. We can't come to God by our name. We can't come to God by our good works. We can't come to God by our orthodoxy. We can only come before God and be accepted in Christ, in the beloved, in who Christ is and what Christ has done for his people. And the only way to know that he's the door, the only way to know he's the way to God is if somebody tells us who he is. Somebody got to preach it. Somebody has to preach that the forgiveness of sin is only found in the blood of Christ. You know, I heard... uh, Flipping through the channels. You know how you do. You stop. It's a train wreck. You stop watching for a few minutes. Man actually said this. If you'll start sinning less, God will forgive you. Well, where to begin? Number one, God is holy. So he can't ignore the sins of our past. If I could not just sin less, but quit sinning right this second for the rest of my life, it's too late. I'm already guilty. God can't ignore the sin of my past. 
And I can't start sinning less anyway. So, forgiveness of sin is only found in the blood of Christ. His blood is so precious because he is, he is such a unique person. He's the only sinless man to ever live. His blood is so precious. His blood made the sin of his people to not exist anymore. Now, we're never going to know that. We're never going to figure that on our own. Somebody's got to preach Christ to us. Somebody's got to preach to us that salvation's all in Christ. Salvation is not our decision to accept Jesus as our personal Savior. Salvation is not in our decision to, I've, I've decided to accept his, his sacrifice. I've decided to let him into my heart, you know. Now, salvation is in God's election of a people. And God's Son coming and purchasing that salvation with His own blood. And the Holy Spirit drawing us to Christ. Drawing us to Christ. Now, there's no question about it. If God saves you, you're going to identify with Him. And, you know, but, this is, but you're also going to realize this. It's not my decision. <laughs> no, I came because God drew me. I came because God the Father chose me. I come to Christ because He sacrificed Himself. I come to Christ because the Spirit showed me Him and His beauty and His glory and made me desire Him and come to Him and fall at His feet and beg Him for mercy. I came because God saved me. <laughs> See, I didn't get saved because I came to Christ. I came to Christ because God saved me. That's a good way to put it, isn't it? But we're never going to know that unless somebody preaches Christ to us. Now I'm telling you, you come and you beg that Lord to have mercy on your soul. That Lord. You beg God to give you faith in that Christ. Not just any Jesus now. Not just, not just, not just any Christ. You know, salvation not just saying the name of Jesus. Somebody says, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, I mean, you, you, know, you very well could be believing in the wrong Jesus. There is another Jesus. That's what Paul said. Salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ of this book. As he describes himself, not as we made him up to be, but as he, as he describes himself in this book. And we need somebody to preach him to us, to tell us who he is, to tell us what he's like, because we can't figure him out by nature. And that's the only way we're going to see God by faith. The Lord's going to give faith to his people through the preaching of his word. By the preaching of his word, the Lord shall be seen. He'll be seen of his people. Then lastly, Jehovah Jireh means this. The Lord will provide. Now what is it that the Lord will provide for his people? Why don't you look first at 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord, or 2 Peter chapter 1, excuse me, 2 Peter 1. The Lord is going to provide everything for his people. Everything that they need for spiritual life. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things, everything that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. The Lord's going to provide everything that his people need for spiritual life. Everything. Everything. But you know, sometimes people say, well, I'll, I'll provide this service. I'll provide this good to the, to the general public. But now... You gotta go buy it, don't you? You gotta go buy it. That's not the way God does it. Look at Romans chapter 8. 
the Lord is going to provide everything for his people freely. Freely. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall, not, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The Lord gives everything to his people freely. Not because it's cheap, but because Christ bought it with his precious blood. And he gives it to his people freely. See, in order for God's elect to be redeemed, there's got to be a perfect lamb. There's got to be a perfect sacrifice. There's got to be a perfect righteousness. There's got to be a perfect holiness. There's got to be a perfect life. There's got to be perfect faith. Huh. We can't provide any of that, can we? The only thing we can do perfectly is sin. So God provided what's necessary for the redemption of his people. God provided everything that he requires. He provided it all. Now that's grace. It, he provided it all in the person of his son. God didn't just get out of his wallet and give it to He didn't just open up the, the gold mines and the silver mines and the diamond mines of this world and cost a whole lot more than that. He gave his son. He gave his son. And you know the Lord also, he provides spiritual life for his people. But the Lord also provides things in this life that we need to. You know, the Lord, didn't he teach us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? He taught us to pray that way, and then he's going to turn around and provide it. Whatever it is, not just bread that you need to, to have food and clothes and shelter. The Lord's going to provide what's sufficient. Now, it may not be fancy, but it'll be sufficient. It'll be sufficient. The Lord always gives his people enough of this world's goods that they can return an offering back to the Lord. You know, Paul says we're to give out of our abundance. Well, oh my. God's provided for us abundantly, hadn't he? Abundantly. Every single person here can say this. The Lord's provided abundantly. So that I can give. So I can be helpful. You know, this world's a, a difficult place. It's difficult. It's uh, It's confusing. To know what way to go, how you, what you ought to do, how you ought to go. What, what. The Lord's going to provide leadership. He's our shepherd. He'll provide leadership through this world below. We don't know the way to go. But our shepherd sure does. And he's going to lead us. He's not going to leave you to the wolves. He'll lead us. You know, the Lord also provides afflictions, trials, corrections in this life. He provides those things for the good of his people. But you know, he also, in every instance, provides grace that's sufficient for the trial that he sends. The Lord's filled his book with promises, promises of grace and mercy and protection that allows us to rest in Christ. You know, I wonder why I lay in bed at night or why I sit in my study, you know, and just start stewing over the all the things that are, that are wrong, and what am I going to do about this, and what's going to happen about this, and what's going to happen about this, and what's going to happen about this. Why don't I spend more time thinking, oh, God promised mercy. God's promised grace. Now, I know this thing's looked bad, but God's promised, oh, this thing's under my hand. 
My father's taking care of it. Why can't I be like little two and three year old Holly and Savannah? And my father says, I see. Why can't I say, okay, and quit worrying? One day we will, won't we? One day we will. And that brings me to this. When it's time, when it's time, the Lord's going to provide dying grace. And He's going to come and get us. And He's going to take us to be with Him where He is. And when we get there, and we open our eyes in glory, you know what we're going to find out? He was true to His Word. He's provided a place for me. And I'm going to be there with Him forever. Oh, aren't you thankful? The Lord will provide. He'll see. He'll see to it. He'll let us see Him. And He'll provide. He'll provide everything that we need. And well, after we uh, close in prayer, I'd like for us to close our service seeing John Newton's very, very, very good song, The Lord Will Provide. It's a handout. If you didn't get one, share with somebody. We'll sing that here after we close in prayer. Our Father, how we thank you for this precious name of yours that you've revealed to your people, the Lord will provide. And Father, I pray that you'd cause us as Abraham of old to see, to see, to see you, to see your purpose, to see your accomplished redemption for your people and be glad to leave here tonight rejoicing in Christ our Savior. It's in his precious name, for his sake and his glory, we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.